Hello, everyone, and welcome to the March 15th edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Fols with Floyd, Scarron, and Kelly. Let's get started with this week's news. A number of new regulations have been proposed at both the state and federal level that will affect how we handle industrial claims. The DWC has issued a notice of rulemaking to exempt ambulance air carriers from the application of the official medical fee schedule. Here's why they are making this proposed change. Back in 2003, the DWC adopted regulations setting maximum fees for ambulance services. Unfortunately, Congress had previously adopted the Airline Deregulation Act of 1978, which prohibited states from adopting or enforcing regulations which affected rates charged by air carriers. In 2009, several air ambulance providers sued various work comp payers in California, asserting that the DWC rate regulation was preempted by the Federal Airline Deregulation Act of 1978. The air ambulance carriers have now threatened to sue the DWC over this issue. The division has determined that the regulation of fees of air ambulance carriers is probably preempted by the Supremacy Clause of the United States Constitution and thus invalid. The proposed new regulation would exempt air ambulance carriers from the OMFS and avoid the threatened lawsuit by air ambulance carriers. The Division of Workers' Compensation has also issued a notice of proposed regulations requiring the adoption of standardized paper and electronic billing forms. This rulemaking is another step in the Division's 12-point plan to help control medical and administrative costs announced last fall. Administrative Director Kerry Nevins stated that implementing electronic billing eliminates unnecessary paperwork from the workers' comp system and brings the DWC into the 21st century. The use of standardized billing forms for paper billing would be mandatory 90 days after adoption of the new regulations. Claims administrators would be required to accept submission of electronic bills 18 months after adoption of the regulations. The use of electronic billing by medical providers is optional under the statute and the proposed regulations. There are public hearings on the proposed regulations scheduled for April 23rd. The Division of Workers' Compensation has also posted proposed pharmacy benefit network regulations which actually cover more than just pharmaceuticals. These draft regulations represent yet another step in its 12-point plan to monitor and help control medical costs in California's work comp system. Comments on this proposal will be accepted in the DWC online forum until Wednesday, March 17. Please feel free to participate in this important regulatory process. And on the federal level, Many claims administrators are fearful of the potential for a $1,000 per day per claim penalty under the new Medicare reporting requirements. The law requires insurers or employers to notify the U.S. Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, or CMS, when work comp, liability, or no-fault claims 
with a medical component involve Medicare-eligible beneficiaries. Employers and insurers now face a $1,000 per day penalty per claim for failing to properly notify CMS. However, legislation just introduced in the U.S. House would cap penalties at $5,000 per claim and set a three-year statute of limitations for failing to comply with new reporting requirements. The bill also would protect Medicare beneficiaries by eliminating a requirement that claim notifications to CMS contain claimants' social security numbers. Among other measures, the legislation calls for CMS to provide claimants, insurers, or employers with the amount of a conditional payment that the agency will demand before the parties settle a claim rather than after the claim is settled as now required. This proposed law will have to be passed by the Congress and approved by the President before it becomes effective. And now our fraud report. Nikki Buxman, a Sacramento letter carrier for the U.S. Postal Service, has been indicted by a federal grand jury on 15 felony counts arising out of her workers' compensation claim. She claimed that she had injured her back, neck, and shoulder while on the job. In order to continue receiving those benefits, she denied that she had outside employment and income. However, she owned and operated fitness clubs known as TNT Takeover MMA Boxing in Elk Grove and Fitness 180 in Roseville, which generated income for her while allegedly disabled. Her defense lawyers will have to contend with a YouTube video where Mrs. Buxman is showing off her gym to the YouTube community. The indictment claims that she illegally received $278,000 in benefits. If convicted, Ms. Buxman faces a maximum sentence of 20 years in prison for mail fraud, 10 years in prison for theft of U.S. property, and a five-year term for false statements. Attorney General Edmund Brown has filed a lawsuit against Juan Munoz, an Imperial Valley farm labor contractor for workers' safety violations. Munoz supplied field workers to onion farms in Kern County in the Coachella Valley and the Mojave Desert. In 2009, Brown's office conducted a routine field visit at a Southern California onion farm and interviewed workers hired by Munoz. According to the workers, Munoz gathered workers from throughout Southern California and delivered them to an onion field that was often far from their home. Once at the fields, they worked split shifts throughout the day and night, slept in the fields, and bathed in a nearby reservoir. The workers were not given rest breaks or portable drinking water, and employees were not provided with training on how to recognize and prevent heat exhaustion. Employees worked split shifts totaling approximately 70 hours a week, but were not provided overtime pay. In addition, many of the workers were paid in cash below the minimum wage without a written statement of hours worked, rate of pay, or deductions taken. Also a violation of state labor laws. The suit seeks a permanent injunction, civil penalties, 
and restitution to the workers. And now our medical report. Loud music or noise isn't the only thing that can damage your hearing. A new study claims that over-the-counter painkillers taken regularly may increase the risk of hearing loss, especially in younger men. This study followed 27,000 men enrolled in the Health Professionals Follow-Up Study since 1986. As part of the study, men provided information on analgesic use, hearing loss, and other relevant factors for 18 years. About 3,500 of these men were diagnosed with hearing loss at the end of the study. Researchers found that men younger than 50 who regularly took acetaminophen more than two times a week had double the risk of hearing loss compared to men who did not. Acetaminophen is the active ingredient in Tylenol and certain other pain relievers. Researchers also found that men younger than 50 who regularly took ibuprofen, the main ingredient in Advil, or other non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs at least twice a week had a nearly two-thirds higher risk of hearing loss than men who took NSAIDs less often. Men who took aspirin twice a week had a one-third higher risk. The findings were published in the American Journal of Medicine this month. The adverse effect of medical treatment can become a compensable consequence of an industrial injury under California law. This new study may at some point become the basis for new industrial hearing loss claims. Is there missing evidence in evidence-based medicine? A new study published in the Journal of the American Medical Association seems to think so. Researchers at Harvard Medical School claim that most of the comparative effectiveness studies they reviewed simply tested whether medication X is better than medication Y rather than addressing fundamental questions such as, how can we use this medication more effectively? When is this medication better than surgery? Which among two effective approaches is the safest? The article points out that many of our nation's research priorities are driven by the pharmaceutical industry. These companies focus most of their attention on creating new drug-related therapies. Instead, Researchers suggest that the FDA should require studies comparing different therapeutic strategies focusing on the comparative safety and cost of different therapies before approving drugs. Given the continued progress of science, approval of a new drug or device implies to physicians and the general public that the product represents an advance over older treatments. But this is not always true. Recent studies have shown, for instance, that older, cheap drugs, such as generic diuretics to treat high blood pressure or older treatments for diabetes work better than newer drugs in many cases. And in financial news, several states are attempting to sell their state funds to raise cash, but so far there are no deals. There is no movement in the proposed California sale of assets of the state compensation insurance fund. 
Colorado is still negotiating the price for the sale of the state-owned Pinnacle Assurance. And now, the author of legislation authorizing the sale of Oklahoma's Workers' Compensation Insurance Agency said he does not have enough votes to pass it in the State House and that the bill appears to be dead for the year. But Representative Dan Sullivan said he hasn't given up on the plan to privatize CompuSource Oklahoma. Sullivan said a task force formed last year will continue to study the idea. Following a series of meetings last year, the task force recommended that Oklahoma's CompuSource be privatized, but task force members were divided over how to do it. An actuary who studied CompSource last year said it could be worth up to $350 million if sold to a private insurer. And in other news, a settlement of up to $658 million has been reached in the case of thousands of rescue and cleanup workers at the World Trade Center Ground Zero who sued the city of New York claiming damage to their health. Since 2003, thousands of firefighters, police officers, construction workers, and emergency responders have filed lawsuits against 90 defendants, including the city and the private companies it hired to remove debris at Ground Zero. The plaintiffs claimed that their conditions, most commonly asthma and other respiratory illnesses, resulted from the toxic brew of contaminants at Ground Zero and the defendants' failure to adequately supervise and protect them with safety equipment. The settlement would compensate about 10,000 plaintiffs. At least 90% of the plaintiffs must now accept the settlement offer. The settlement will end years of complex and politically charged litigation that has pitted angry victims against city officials. Payouts to the plaintiffs would come out of a federally financed insurance company with funds of about $1 billion that insures the city. Lawyers for the plaintiffs would collect a third of the settlement amount in legal fees. The insurance company, known as WTC Captive Insurance, was financed by Federal Emergency Management Agency, has already paid out more than $200 million in legal fees and costs to defend the city and its contractors. That's all our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone or iPod by searching for WorkComp Academy in the iTunes Store. Again, I'm Renee Foltz with Floyd, Scarron, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us, and please visit us again next week for more news.